Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 21. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. This proverb is a warning against the excesses of the flesh. Solomon asks his son to be wise and to guard his heart in the path. Both wine and food and the desire for them are blessings from God. Wine makes the heart merry and food satiates the body's appetite. God promises to provide for our needs when we are faithful to keep his commandments. But here, Solomon warns us that good things are not good when they are abused. In fact, they are downright ugly. And the principle is this. The drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Drunkards and gluttons are weak men, and their lives display it. Their idolatry and their lack of discipline causes them to lose all sense of propriety of what is right. God intended wine for enjoyment, or even medicine, not to destroy you, to rule you, or to make a fool out of you. And as for food, we are supposed to eat to live, and not live to eat. Here we learn that if we give our appetites free reign, we become slaves to them. And they are harsh taskmasters. And they and, and men who, who fall under those reign under that reign end up in disrepute and poverty and shame. So how do you end up there? What is the progression from the son of Solomon, the prince of Israel, to the drunkard and the glutton? How does, how, do, how, do, how does a good kid go back? This happens by association. Solomon's advice is this. Don't mix with those who are already there. Because peer pressure is a powerful force, and bad friends do corrupt good morals. It's easy to see the folly at the end of the line. It's easy to see how foolish this is when you look at the bum in the gutter. And it's easier to see from the outside when you're not in the middle of it. But if you don't heed Solomon's advice, and if you get close and you allow conflicting allegiances to blind you to what is really going on, if you become friends with the drunkard or the glutton and start to buy into their worldview and accept their excuses, then you are on the wrong path and you are failing to guide your heart in the way. So hear the wisdom of Solomon, confess your falling, repent, and turn to God that he might redeem you. 
If you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. series in the Sermon on the Mount. In our text from last week, Jesus told us that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And to the smallest details, he says that the yodes and the tittles of the Hebrew alphabet would be everlasting until all of it was fulfilled. In our text today, Jesus starts to explain what he means by this with the first of six examples that he gives. And this the first example is he reinterprets the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. In these six examples, Jesus' point in general is that it's the spirit of the law that matters. And the spirit of the law is a much higher standard, a much higher threshold than the letter of the law. Remember where our text left off last week, Matthew 5, verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts now in this example with the traditional interpretation of the commandment, that which was handed down by the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. This is very straightforward. And it's actually relatively easy. As long as I don't bump somebody off, I'm free from the threat of judgment. That that was what they had been told. Thou shalt not murder means don't kill people. That's pretty basic. But immediately, Jesus gets in our face with his radical reinterpretation of the commandment. In fact, what we might call it is a spiritual exposition of the law. Verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. This is radical and extreme. In the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of the world, and everybody should get this, there's a huge difference between actually killing a person and being angry or calling names or cursing with words. There's a huge difference between those two. But Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And in his kingdom, the fulfillment of the law is this this radical and this extreme. So let's talk about what he means when he says, angry without a cause. First, without a cause isn't in all of the translations. If you're looking in some of your Bibles and you are reading this text, it might just say, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. 
but the, the word without a cause is in the best translations, and whether it's in it or not, it is, it is a reliable as to its meaning, even where it's excluded from the text. So what is anger without a cause? And if we're going to, going to define that, we first need to define anger, and then we need to define what anger with a cause is. So what is anger? Anger is wrath, it is fury, rage, or passion. In Hebrew, the metaphor that is used is that uh, the nose burns hot. The nose burns hot. It's that, that passion. You have this picture, a mental picture, just breathing fumes. Just this, this agitation in your soul, in your spirit. And anger has an object. When you're angry, you are angry at, or you are angry against, someone or something or, or some situation. So anger is this passion that builds up inside of you that is an internal lashing out against your neighbor. It is an internal murder. It's a spiritual attack against your brother. So what is justifiable anger then? Anger with a cause. And we know that there is such a thing because the Apostle Paul commands us in Ephesians. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So the Apostle commands us to be angry without sin. Likewise, Jesus himself gets angry. He gets angry at the money changers in the temple. He gets angry at the scribes and the Pharisees when they were condemning him for healing on the Sabbath. And later on, he even calls the scribes and Pharisees fools. Something that he has just threatened with hellfire here. So surely Jesus cannot be being angry and sinning. He is not not fulfilling the law in his anger. There are many things that drive anger. And, and the things that, that instigate, that motivate anger are central to discerning whether anger is with a cause or without. Whether anger is just or unjust. So righteous and holy anger is first displayed for us in the scriptures by God. God gets angry. And it's displayed by Jesus Christ. I just gave some examples of where Jesus got angry. And it's dis displayed by the saints. Holy and righteous anger is motivated by love. It's motivated by love of God and love of neighbor because it fulfills the commandments. Holy and righteous anger is motivated by love. This anger takes offense. It, it's, it's, it inspires our souls to get riled up because of evil. We ought not be complacent about evil. When this kind of anger sees the oppression of the weak, it gets angry. When it, 
When, when it sees idolatry, it fumes. When it sees rebellion against God and His law, it spurns us on. But the result of this kind of anger is always glory to God. Holy and righteous anger must be motivated by love and it must end in the glory of God. And this is key because anger, our passions, can turn and they can turn very quickly. And they can turn into the other kind of anger, unholy and unrighteous anger. Which is why Paul instructs us when he tells us to be angry and not to sin, to not let the sun go down on our anger. We may not nurse it. It's not something that we, we may not live in the, in the constant state of anger. That's not permissible for Christians. There is a righteous anger. There's a holy anger. But it's not something that can dominate our lives. The gospel is the gospel of peace. Now, we've defined what anger is. We've defined what righteous anger is. What is unholy anger? What is unrighteous anger? What is Jesus talking about? What is anger without a cause? Unholy anger is the fruit of our flesh. And it has many, many different kinds of motivations. It can be fueled by pride. It can be fueled by hate. It can be fueled by selfishness. It can be fueled by pettiness. It can be fueled by unholy jealousy, by envy, by guilt, by shame, by irritability, bitterness, and other things, many other things, but none of them are good. It's not driven by the love of God. Unjustified anger, anger without a cause, is a seed. And Jesus tells us here that when it comes to fruition, what it is, as a seed, and in its maturity, is hatred and murder. When it, when it comes to maturity, it's hatred and murder. And this is why Jesus equates it to murder. He says, you've heard that it was said that if you murder, you'll be liable to judgment. You'll be in danger of the judgment. And Jesus says, but if you're angry without a cause, you will be in danger of judgment. In 1 John, John points to the antithesis between murder and the fulfillment of the law, the two great commandments. 1 John 3, verses 11 to 15. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the message of the gospel. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Envy, jealousy. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why? Because of envy and jealousy. Their works are evil, and our works are to be good. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Again, in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21, he says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Murder is the opposite of love. Hatred is the opposite of love. Unjust anger is murder. So, if anger without a cause is tantamount to murder, what do we do with the various forms of anger that we see in our lives? What, how do we assess waking up on the wrong side of the bed? Having that short fuse. How do we assess snapping at your children or your spouse or your co-workers? How do we assess being generally annoyed at the world or at our situation? How do we deal with that anger that flares up when you're driving down the road and the other driver cuts you off? Are you a murderer? What about anger about broken promises or broken confidences or broken relationships? Are these without a cause or do they have a cause that's justifiable? There are many different kinds of anger that we experience. And it takes wisdom to discern whether anger is just or unjust. We have to stop and recognize that it's there. And then we have to ask some hard questions. What is driving my anger? Why am I peeved? What is, what's the effect of this anger? Does it motivate you to be holy? And to establish justice and righteousness? Or does it flatten everybody around you? The fruit bears witness. One thing we can be certain of, though, as we assess whether our anger is justifiable or not, is that at some point we are all guilty of breaking the Sixth Commandment. The threshold is extremely high. And we fall starting at very, very young ages. One of the chief issues in raising little ones is dealing with what, in our family, we call hissy fits. But it's straight up anger, and it's unjustifiable. And it's murder, according to Jesus. Coming out of these one, two-year-olds. We, we would call that a causeless anger without a cause. And the effects of that kind of anger, unless God gives us the wisdom to check it, the effects of that, if left unchecked, are murder. Murder on relationships, murder on community, and murder on peace. And there is no way to live. We must be wise and humble so that we can discern our own hearts. Because there is judgment for unjust anger. God will judge it. 
And the, the judgment increases if you let the anger come out to play. If we let it out of our mouths. If we speak words of anger, the judgment increases. Because words matter. Jesus says that out of, out of our heart proceed what comes out of our mouth. And what comes out of our mouth is what defiles us, not what goes in. And then he tells us what's in our heart. And it's not good stuff. Matthew 12. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter. And Matthew 15, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So Jesus says, if you have unjust anger, you're in danger of judgment. But if you call your brother Raka, which is a Hebrew term that's like saying dummy or idiot, and that's what you, that, out of that unjust anger, you let it come out of your mouth and berate your, your brother. You're in danger of the council. What is the council? Well, the council was the Sanhedrin. It was the highest religious court in the land. And Jesus says, you're in danger of that kind of judgment. The, the original, the first judgment was just kind of the local magistrate judgment. But now you're going to the highest religious court in the land. And then he says, if you call your brother fool, if you say, you fool, this is a personal t attack. It's a cursing of the person. It's a condemnation of them. It's like saying, damn you. If you allow that kind of anger from a, an unjust cause to come out of your mouth, you're in danger of hellfire. Jesus is not exaggerating just to make a point. He is being extremely consistent with the fulfillment of the law. And the law that he's being consistent with is the law for perjury. If you are unjustly angry with your brother and you speak words of condemnation, like dummy or idiot, you're accusing him of heresy. And that's why you're liable for the condemnation of heresy. You're bringing false charges against your brother. That's the law of perjury. Is whatever attack that you bring against your brother, you are liable to receive that same condemnation. And if you say, you fool, you're accusing them of being a bad person. A person that is not worthy of the kingdom. A person that is not worthy of God or salvation. The Bible tells us about fools all the time. What's the fool saying? He's an idolater. He says there is no God. 
What's the condemnation for somebody who's found guilty of being a fool? Hellfire. And if you bring false accusations because of your unjust anger, you are in danger of that condemnation. He's not exaggerating. What does Jesus mean by all of this? What is his point? Jesus is speaking spiritually, as opposed to physically. He is giving us the law of the kingdom of heaven, as opposed to the earthly kingdom. The message of the Sermon on the Mount regards how the law works in regard to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, when, when he was asked by Pilate. So one thing we can be clear about is that this is not, and I must be emphatic here, this is not justification for earthly judges judging hearts or motives. Nor is this a hair trigger for bringing people up on charges for murder. You are angry. You're guilty of murder. That's not what this is about. This is about us identifying what the fulfillment of the law of God is. It's about us knowing what is it that displeases God. What is His standard of perfection and holiness? How broad is His application of the Sixth Commandment? And what we find very quickly, if we start thinking about this, is that Unholy anger is ugly. It is vile because it is sin. Because murder is sin. One of the Ten Commandments. Therefore, don't be angry. If we want to keep the law regarding murder, we must be free from anger. How do we know if we are guilty of violating God's law and the Sixth Commandment? Well, are you alive? Remember the list of motivation for unholy anger? How long that was? And it wasn't exhaustive by any means. We are all full of pride and arrogance. And that pride and arrogance drives this kind of anger. So how do we apply this? We must learn the wisdom of Jesus' example. And the wisdom there is that holiness is deeper than externals. Holiness, righteousness, is deeper than what's on the outside. So now what? What are we, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, let's follow Jesus' recommendation. He says, be reconciled. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now that might sound like, wait, where's this coming from? You know, okay, so we're talking about anger and Jesus has got you know, a really high threshold. Now leave your gift at the altar. What's that about? Here we learn an important principle 
about worship and anger. Remember 1 John. Whoever hates his neighbor does not love God. Whoever hates his neighbor does not love God. When we go to worship, what we are doing, in essence, is we are asking God to set aside his anger and forgive our sins. And his anger is holy and just. But if we are guilty of this kind of anger, if we lashed out at our brother, we are hypocrites. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as how? As we forgive those who have sinned against us. The commandment is love. And that is the antithesis of anger. Worship is about love. Ephesians 4 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard. Jesus could have been angry at the world and obliterated it justly. But he forgave the world. Causeless anger brings charges against a neighbor. But if you're guilty of causeless anger, then you are the guilty party. The person who's making the charges. The accuser is the guilty party. So what are we to do? Confess unjust anger and repent of it. The answer to sin is humility. Humility and repentance is the opposite of anger. Instead of being puffed up and offended, you beseech your brother for forgiveness. That's the answer. You humbly approach him. And you go from the stance of accusing him to begging on your knees to forgive you because you sinned against him. That is a radical change. Paul tells us in Romans 12 how we are supposed to handle our anger. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is not our place to be angry. It is our place to fall on our knees and beg God for deliverance. And here's why. God hates hypocrisy. The remainder of our text, verses 25 and 26. Jesus warns us. He says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. 
Jesus is using physical terminology here, but he's speaking about spiritual realities. That you're not likely to get thrown into jail for fuming inside your heart and not saying anything. You're not even likely to get thrown into jail, the the minimum judgment here, for calling your brother a fool or a raka. That's not likely to happen. But in the kingdom of heaven, if we are guilty of this double standard where we seek God's forgiveness and refuse to bestow it, we will be like the parable of the steward who was forgiven and then held to the one that owed him accountable and threw him into jail. And then that repentance or that forgiveness was taken away and he was thrown into jail in the parable until he had paid the last penny. God hates hypocrisy and God will judge it. And this is a solemn warning. Now remember, I just read a passage where we're supposed to give up our anger because God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 12. He says, give place to wrath because God will have vengeance. But Paul also wrote Hebrews, and in Hebrews he says something very different about God says, saying, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Because in Hebrews he says that this is a warning for us. Hebrews 10, verses 28 to 31. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, so if you break the law, like it had been said of the, to those of old, the condemnation of the, uh, breaking the law. But then he says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Take warning. For the sake of your own soul, seek peace with all men. Relent of your anger. Find peace with God and share it with your neighbor. Love God and love your brother. And I leave you with James chapter 1. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. saw this morning, God's standards of holiness are extremely high, and our level of guilt is also extremely high. And God does not take our sin lightly. He is a God of justice and a God of vengeance, but he is also the God of love, of mercy, of goodness, gentleness, kindness, and grace. 
And the place where all of this comes together is at the cross. There Jesus shows us the morbidity and the vileness and the grossness of our sin. And in bearing our guilt and shame and punishment, he also declares to us God's love, his grace and his mercy to and for us. The kingdom of heaven is good news because in humility we may approach the living God and cry out with our older brother, Abba, Father. And he hears us and he saves us. He delivers us and he redeems us. Here at this table we are united in covenant with him and with each other. And we are strengthened and encouraged and built up and nourished. Here we receive the promises. And here we declare God's glory by faith. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.